I tell him not to s tell him that, but it's, I just dawn on me it's recording and he'll listen to that. <laughs> we love Reverend Dyer. <laughs> Dyer is the greatest that ever lived. It's God, Jesus, Billy Graham, and Dyer. Well, I'm back from the Baptist this morning, being with the Baptist. It's good to be back in the homeland. Uh, I was with, with my family in North Carolina, and last Sunday I was at first... By the way, for those of you who don't know, my name is Mark. I'm the music guy here, and some once in a while I get enlisted to preach, and so I have to dust off my preaching skills. Uh, Dyer's on vacation, and so he'll be back next week, and I will try and kick off and uh, do Advent uh, properly today. So I was with the Baptist at First Baptist Church of Murphy, North Carolina last week, and uh, it's one of those... Uh, Good old Baptist churches. does have a pipe organ, though, so I told my mother that um, I found uh, somebody to take my place last Sunday here so I would be able to be there. So about five minutes later, she sent me a message, would you be able to play the organ for the postlude for people? And I said, on, on my vacation, on my break, Mom? I said, I'd rather sing and play. That way I don't have to practice. Oh, well, let me see. I'm sure that'd be fine. So I get there, and Mama comes home from choir practice, and she says, um, you're singing a song during the offering. I said, great. I'll just pull out a hymn or whatever. Dad comes home from choir practice. By the way, you're doing a mini concert on Sunday. They'd like you to sing three or four songs, but nothing, <laughs> nothing major. So I had the opportunity to be with uh, family, which as all of our family, now my parents are retired, but uh, prior to retirement, all of my families are church workers. My uh, sister is the Jenny Gruen help of her church, her directors of communication. So uh, it's rare that we all are together for a holiday and rare, even more rare, that we're together on a Sunday morning sitting in a pew together at church. So it was very nostalgic for me um, uh, and it was, it was good to be around good old Baptist folk and hear the stomping of the feet while you're singing and Shouts of amen during your songs. Those are, those are nice, but I'm back. And so we're starting to kick off. You're going to throw me off now. I'm all prepared for... I'm prepared for Lutherans. I get to use big words today. No, I'm joking. But if I do slip into my twang, forgive me, because I've been around my people for two weeks, so uh, I'll try and think. So Dyer says, why don't you kick off the Advent season since it's the first Sunday? And we'd, we did this study called um, Flesh, the book that we've handed out, Flesh Incarnation. And I said, sure, I can talk about that. And um, I said, I'd like to know what the readings were based on, because if it's okay, um, I'd like the Advent season, Let, let's do the book of John. I think it's fantastic. Well, the book is based on the book of John, which I think is one of the most passionate and one of the most loving and personal of the Gospels, of the Gospel accounts. Um, uh, I, I, I just, in its reading, um, and it starts right at the very beginning. So let's read together. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And I'm going to read from here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, 
and through, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. We could end right there and go home. The entirety of gospel is encapsulated in those 18 verses. If you knew nothing else of scripture, if you knew nothing else of Jesus, if you knew nothing else of anything, those 18 verses right there. And it speaks to us today, 2,000 years later. Many of you, like me, grew up in church. We grew up in our, some, liturgical. I did not grow up in a liturgical following the calendar year. So the concept of Advent wasn't really emphasized growing up. I didn't really know it until I went out to college and became an Episcopalian. The Episcopalians follow the church year. So I had a lot of learning to do, and then I had a real lot of learning when I became a Lutheran, because they really liked their Sundays, the high holy days. We talk about Advent. This Sunday marks the beginning of our church year. Happy New Year. Happy Church New Year. Advent season. And how do we take this concept, this millennial concept of Advent season, in its technical forms, in the big words, its churches, its language that we use inside these four walls, how do we translate that outside of these four walls to a people and a lost world and a world that is crying out for love and relationship? That's one of the main things people look for and desire, relationship. We see it in the beginning of time. The earth was void and without form, and darkness covered, and the spirit hovered. And God came along, and he, boom, spoke into being. Sun, moon, and stars, planets. Then on earth, he separated the waters from the dry land. He created birds of the air, fish of the sea, bees, ants, the ones I don't really understand, mosquitoes. Why? Then he created man. And it said it wasn't good for man to be alone. Why? Because he desired relationship. So he created woman to be companion. And in those early days of perfection, in the Garden of Eden, in the days of perfection, God walked with Adam and talked with Adam in the coolness of the day. Now, if you're from the south, the coolness of the day is usually in the morning times. If you're somewhere else in the country, often it's 
the evening. Once the sun goes down, it begins to cool off. That isn't the way it happens in the south. So I visualize when I think he walked together in the coolness of the day, that sunrise, that breaking. There's just a fog, simple little fog. And he created this paradise. And it was all about relationships. It was all about you and me, me and God. And there they walked. And God created this huge garden with plenty to sustain life. I am positive there was a Snickers tree there too. It was perfection. <laughs> but there was this one, one little tree. God said, don't deal with that. Don't mess with that one. I don't know why. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. I think that in our 2,000, 5,000, however many year old minds that we have since the Garden of Eden, we might say, oh, that's because they were simple. They were naive to the ways of the world. That once they ate the tree, their eyes were open to good and evil and they lived naive, naively. And God said, don't mess with that tree. But like little kids who say, don't touch that cookie over there until you've had your supper, immediately the child goes to the cookie. If you had never mentioned a cookie, he probably or she probably wouldn't have even saw the cookie. But the minute you say, don't do the cookie until you've eaten your dinner, where does the child go? Boom. So God said, don't eat from this tree. Immediately. And the temptation that we were told of the serpent, Satan, tempting Eve, and then Eve giving, we are saying it's an apple. I personally like apples. I wish it was a fruit that I didn't like, like guavas. <laughs> or kiwis. I mean, come on. A furry fruit. Kiwis. That, it should have been a kiwi. That would be Satan's temptation. Maybe we'd have left it alone if it was a kiwi. But the minute, but the minute that Adam's lips touched that apple, a shadow of a cross appeared upon the horizon of humanity. And God put in place his advent story. God began to put in place his advent story, his incarnation, his flesh moment. Not because something has gone wrong, that he needed to fix or something that has gone wrong that caught him off guard that oh no I created this creation and now they're doing something I didn't anticipate believe me nothing you do or say individually or corporately as a church surprises God it does not catch him off guard but immediately put into place a narrative of redemption a tapestry of love that we see woven throughout the stories of the Bible. Whether it be through the prophets of the Old Testament prophesying, saying, hold on, be faithful. A Messiah is coming, for unto you is born a child. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hold on, he's coming. And 2,000 years later, we have to find out how we can relate to that. 
how we can wrap our brains, our human brains, around that particular subject. And may I suggest, dear friends, brothers and sisters, that it is all about relationships. It is all about relationships. God desires what he created in Eden. And because of the fall of man, because of sin, we have been separated from what was created, from what was intended, from perfection that was here. And it wasn't a created, a mistake that he didn't anticipate. He did it because he loves us and desires an abiding relationship. Now that word abiding in the Bible, it says I, I, an abiding relationship is an interesting verb. It's actually meant an ongoing thing. It isn't a stagnant. It isn't a status quo, steady as you go. It's an abiding, something that constantly lives and breathes. We see that mimicked in relationships, in marriages. Those who've been married a year versus those who've been married for 55 years. It's interesting to sit down and talk with them about the differences in their love. Does it change? Does it deepen? Does it grow? It comes, becomes more passionate. It's a different type of love. And in that same way, God desires that relationship with us. And how did he do it? He did it in an incarnation. I brought my iPhone up here because I need help. We got lost while we were in North Carolina in the woods. Me and my parents and my grandmother. I allowed dad to use his iPhone to give us directions and it sent us somewhere where we didn't need to be. <laughs> and my mother commented, she says, isn't it funny how 20 years ago we were up here, used a map and never got lost, but then with all this technology, oh, the young whippersnappers. Incarnation, a person who embodies in the flesh a deity. A person who embodies in the flesh a deity. That's how God did it. That's how God chose, his plan chose to reunite creator and creation. An incarnation. And he did it through his son Jesus. Now it was prophesied of old that this was going to be the king of the Jews, a savior. And like in most humankind, over years, I'm sure it became grandiose and grandiose, and yet God chose the most humble of circumstances, the most tiny of circumstances, in a town that no one respected, Nazareth, in a place that no one wanted to be in, a stall, dirty, with animals, hay. There wasn't robes of purple that would signify royalty. And in this most human, this most humble of circumstances, God breathed his very essence. His deity became flesh and dwelt among us. And what? And we beheld his glory. But what's the rest of that sentence? The glory of who? The Father. And in that moment... In that moment, Christ became flesh. And in that moment, God was able to reach down to his creation. And we then, 2,000 years later, follow that. But we have to know the story behind it all. 
We have to know the relational story behind it. The relational story is that God loves you and desires a relationship with you. And it's been 2,000 years that Christians have had the story. We've turned it upside down. We've watered it down. We've added our own things. All that stuff to it. But it's simple. Paul writes in scriptures, don't get tripped up on the simplicity of the gospel. Sometimes we can add to, add to, add to. Christmas has to be this. Advent isn't Advent unless I do blah, blah, blah. Christmas isn't Christmas unless I do blah, blah, blah. When I was growing up, my parents, Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve was spent with my mom's side of the family. And Christmas Day was spent with my mother's, uh, dad's side of the family. And it was very different. We'd go to grandma's house on mom's side on Christmas Eve, collard greens, chicken fried steak, rice and gravy, biscuits. The reason why I'm larger than life. <laughs> on, Sunday, on Christmas morning, we go to my dad's parents. Duck, pheasant, fine china, coat, scalloped potatoes, <laughs> Brussels sprouts. Oh! It was a very different. And I learned something about this. Would you go to the next slide for me? I don't know if you can make out what this is. Good for you. I have a good crowd. This is my father. He built himself a tree stand. He's in there, by the way. You can see his little hat in his hands. This is his favorite place to be. In his, on his property in North Carolina, they've retired and moved. And he built himself a deer stand, a tree stand, so he can kill all those deers. We didn't have any venison for Thanksgiving. <laughs> My dad and I, we, we, had, we had an interesting relationship growing up. It was tense at best. Let's put it that way. Um, my dad is an interesting guy. And I don't know whether it's maturity, older age, probably a little bit of both. I began to see a different side of my dad, late 20s, early 30s. Um, he grew up very different than I did in our home. My mom's side of the family, you walk into the house and grandma and papa, you didn't dare walk by them without kisses and hugs and all that goes on with that. My mom, dad's parents, though, you walk in and I, I think I've shook my grandpa's hand one time. I don't ever remember hugging grandma. She, she, didn't want, she didn't want to have, she didn't want to do that. And my dad was the oldest of four. He was the only boy, had three younger sisters. And grandma and grandpa were just of a, of a different generation, of a different type. Grandma and grandpa would go out, have a steak dinner at the yacht club and would leave the kids home with TV dinners and my dad would be responsible for watching the three kids. My dad went off into the military at 18, served in Korea for a couple of years. By 22, was married, had a child, full-time job, went to night school at the community college. They called it junior college back in those days. And he provided for a family. So I came along, and the only reason you'll ever see me up there is if there's a bear tracing me. 
So it is safe to assume that if you ever find me in a picture like that, know that there's something that wants to eat me down below. So as you can imagine growing up, it was tense. But something happened in my late 20s and early 30s. I began to understand the story behind who he was. I began to understand the story of what made dad, dad. Like I said, I don't know if it was maturity, but I began to understand kind of what made him tick and why he was what he was. And it began to change our relationship with one another. We began to find, while I, I... You would never have me up in a stand covered in deer urine. It would never happen. Nor would you ever find me in those color of clothes. Those aren't my palette. (laughs) But But we've found common bonds. And as I began preparing for what I wanted to say and what I wanted to leave you with overall thoughts today, as we begin this Advent season, this incarnation, this Christ in flesh, it's imperative that we understand the story behind it. It's imperative that we know the reasoning for it. That Christ wasn't sent as some grand fix that God got caught off guard. He became flesh and dwelt among us so that we could experience, that we could have a relationship with, that Christ, that God could reestablish through his son, relationships between creator and creation. And my goodness, if we talk about our churches today, if that was how we lived, if we lived incarnationally, believing what God says about us, that in the Old Testament saying, he's taken out the hearts of stone and will put inside us His spirit. However you came to saving knowledge, whether it was an acceptance when you were 15 years old, whether you accepted when you were 50, whether you were sprinkled, whether they used a hose on you. Christ is not an abstract thought. Christ is not something that is on this page. Christ is not something that we talk about and celebrate during the month of December. Christ incarnationally, His Spirit dwells within you. His power within you. Not out there. So many times Christians get frustrated at our world. What do we expect? God isn't dwelling there. He's not in some holy of holy places that we can only go to through a priest. When Christ died, the veil was torn in two from the holy of holies and then the spirit that dwelt amongst the holy of holies left. And where did it go? It went inside his people so that we could then be the very hands and feet of Christ. But the only way we can do that and be relational with one another if we've accepted the relationship that Christ has established for us. The only way we can offer that is by experiencing an abiding, breathing, powerful relationship that God desires with us. And believe me, brothers and sisters, when we get to a point, when we get to a point that we have experienced that, 
and then we then turn and become a church that lives that out, there won't be room enough to hold the people who will want to be a part of a community, that will want to be a part of a church that loves them, that in spite of themselves, loves them. You know, Chris Bonzer is Chris Bonzer because of who she is. The life lessons, the life lived, the experience live. She may get on my complete nerve. She gets on my complete nerve. But I have developed a relationship with Chris Bonzer. I know the story behind. Thing can be said for many of you in here. There's a story there. It isn't a word on a page. There's a story. And Christ came to demonstrate the story of God. Christ came to be the incarnate flesh, to be the very hands and feet of Christ. And we simply must follow. We must be a church that we allow God to be God and we simply do what God calls us to do. No matter what that means. We must be a church that's flexible, that's loving, that's caring, that looks beyond where we see. I'm a 41-year-old man that is shaped by my life experiences. I am who I am because of where I have come from, because what I have gone through. You are who you are because of what you have gone through. There may be someone, I won't mention their name. There is someone in this church, they're not in this service, good. So I, for years, I've been here for 13 years. For years, I had to ask God to shut my mouth. I'm gonna be honest. I had to ask God to shut my mouth when I was near them because I was gonna absolutely let them have Jesus. <laughs> and I began convicted. Our church three, three years ago went through some strife, growing pains, mistakes were made, things were said, people left, people were upset. And we didn't practice the principles that we're preaching. We didn't practice the principles that hold us together as believers in Christ. We allowed our humanity to out supersede our love for God. We were selfish. We were inwardly focused. We made mistakes and we learned and this person just drove me up a wall and I got convicted one day because I was, oh, my friends are gone. There's no one left here at the church. Maybe I should move on. Maybe I should find somewhere else. And God said, have I called you to people or did I call you to ministry? Did I call you to minister to specific people or to everybody underneath that church roof? So over the next several months to a year, if there was a picnic, if there was a church event, or even a party at someone's home, I made a beeline to try and sit down next to this person, to try and find a relationship, to try and look beyond the facade there's a story there. And all of a sudden, when you look for it, it showed up. And I began to put two and two together. And I began to see that there's a story there. Oh, you are that way. 
oh, that hurt that you experienced. This is why you do this. Oh, I get it. And there was this weird feeling in me of compassion. <laughs> and all of a sudden, oh my, I had a light bulb moment. And I began to look at her in ways that I believe Jesus saw her. Oh, my sinner. Oh, my brother. Oh, my sister. Life has dealt you a hand. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it wretched. Dear friends, there are people in this building struggling that you have no idea about. Drugs, ex extramarital affairs, divorce, strife in the family, strife amongst friends. Dear brothers and sisters, how can we expect a lost and dying world to come join that? But when, but when, but when we experience relationship with God, when we experience relationship with Christ and can then turn that and offer it first to each other, we have to experience it ourselves. We cannot give something away that we don't possess. And as we get older, we begin to experience more and are unable to express more. Oh, a church that loves people in spite of themselves. Oh, a church that looks beyond the mask and sees that there's a story there. There's a story beyond that roughness. There's a story beyond that comic smiling person. And when we do, we get a glimpse of how God sees us. And when we do, we begin to become the very hands and feet of Christ to our community, to ourselves, a loving congregation a loving congregation to our community. There won't be people enough to hold it. Won't be chairs enough to move it. Then we become, as individuals, all that God intended. I have come that you might have life. But the next part of the sentence is awesome. I have come that you might live it to its fullest extent. Do not walk around in the Garden of Eden and just make sure that you stay around that stupid tree that says, God, no, no, no. He's given you this whole expanse of grace. Get out there. Experience what God has for you in your life. Get involved. Relationships with people. Understanding. You will see a transformation. An incarnation. Because God sent his son 2,000 years ago. So that you today could experience that. Not on a page. But here. And here. And here. You'll see it in your life. You'll see it in the life of your children. You'll see it in the life of your family. You'll see it in your marital life. You'll see it in your job. There is a reason why the transforming power of the Holy Spirit is what the church today needs. Amen. It's what we need. And it's crying out. Will you step up? Will you reset this, this Advent season? Will you commit to find the story behind it? Will you say, I will be what God wants me to be, the very hands and feet of Christ? As we go through this Advent season, this waiting, this preparation, this incarnation of Christ, allow him to envelop you. Allow his spirit to come and change you in ways you have no clue about. Can we pray together this morning? Father, we are thankful today for your gift of your son. 
And as we head into this season, this season of Advent, this waiting of anticipation, God, may we, may we simply be open to what you have for us to do. Individually, Father, corporately as a church, may we be flesh. May we be the hands and feet of Christ to our family, to our neighbors, our community. Use us. Increase our territory. Increase our faith. Grow us, Father. Let this place be an impact for the kingdom. We ask all of this in your son's precious name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Please stand.